Jim Joyce. And it's the Here real Jim Joyce. <laughs> I I know uh, you know, AI is taking it over, but there's yep. nobody that can replace Jim Joyce, the real Jim Joyce. <laughs> I, I, I tried to no avail. Thank God. Thank God. No, <laughs> Thank God. exactly. But uh I know our schedule's finally aligned, so which is yep. great. So great to have you back. Let's hope we can get some more consistency in it. But I also yeah. realize it's a crazy world out there and we got to do what we got to do. So to yeah. all of our millions of listeners and viewers, apologies, but we're here whenever we can. <laughs> we're back at it. What, what episode are we now? That's a good question. We're in like season 14 now. So we skipped 13, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I don't know. Just <laughs> I think we both we both needed a little luck, right? We need to yeah, kind of exactly. <laughs> but but as I as I let John in, so uh, I'm yep. I'm super excited um, to have John join us here. Awesome. So John White, uh, John and I were stalking each other on social media for a while, um, and then we finally met. In San Antonio, welcome to the shot of digital health therapy, John White. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. <clears throat> pleasure, pleasure. Great to meet and, you, John. Um, nice to meet you. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember. I, I I think it was LinkedIn or something. We exchanged to have you on. Just wow. didn't you know? Didn't didn't transpire until you know meeting in 3D. That's when the connection, the click happens, right? And so we. Thanks to Ann and Man Johnson and the ATA yes. for bringing us together. Yeah, and LinkedIn still around. I heard it's like twenty years now or something. So <laughs> I, it, it has I, survived. You know, I don't even know what's what's the newest thing. Blue Sky or something that's replacing Twitter. I can't even keep track of it anymore. Um, but anyway, welcome yeah. to the shot, um, John. As Thank you. usual, for the millions of listeners and viewers that we have, uh, we'll take <laughs> us through your life journey, and then, sure. and then we'll, we'll, we'll rudely interrupt, as yeah. usual. So, um, well, thank you for having me. It was great to connect. That's the beauty still of in real life type of yep. connections. Virtual is not the only way <laughs> to connect nowadays. Um, but I'm a physician by training. And I still see patients one day a week. So I've always seen patients throughout my professional career in every job that I've had. I've always talked about it beforehand. And uh, my journey is I'm kind of the, the classic doctor at that time that, you know, you grew up wanting to be a doctor, you studied chemistry or biology. I studied chemistry and you went to medical school. I did all of that in the Philadelphia area where I'm from. But, you know, in college, I, I decided I wanted to learn more about economics. I want to learn more about the health system, which is kind of unusual, but I went to the University of Pennsylvania. They had a, a Leonard Davis Institute that dealt with health economics and really got interested in that. Um, thought I'd be a surgeon, not a surgeon, <laughs> I'm an internist. Uh, I was going to ask, know, so internist. I, I did ask a lot of people for advice and said like, well, what do you think? I want to be involved in health policy. You know, even at a young age, I want to be involved in these issues. And everyone said to me, become a good doctor, learn how to be a doctor, focus on that right now. And, and it's funny, that's the advice that I give to a lot of students that, that call me because I yeah. feel like it's impacted every part of my professional career, even now. Um, as you may know, I was at FDA 
And I remember talking about e-prescribing and, you know, I still saw patients. So I'd have to say to like the commissioner, the center director, okay, let me tell you how e-prescribing works. Let, let me tell you right. how the alert works. The geek the in the room. The, the PDF, you have to minimize something on a screen and open up a new one. It's, it's just not going to happen. It may seem simple, right. but it's not. Um, so, you know, I came to Washington from fellowship at Stanford because that's where a lot of health policy is done. So I've been in California and came to Washington, worked at Medicare, really enjoyed the government. But I'm one of those persons that have felt you go in and out of government, you don't stay there forever. Um, because you can bring a lot of skills, you know, yep. both ways. Uh, so I was at Medicare, really working on coverage issues, uh, detoured into the communication world, the media world, ended up a discovery channel for 10 years. Oh my gosh. Um, they had approached me to run this health medical programming and I was kind of, you know, snooty, like, why would I do that? Like TD, <laughs> I'm right. a doctor. I I, I thought you were an advisor to like the house show or something. One of, one yeah. of those yeah, that shows, good. You know. well. house did well, uh, but I said discovery <laughs> health and discovery channel. We had a lot of health shows back in 2005 through 13 and, and really focused not on the um, being on TV. So even though I was on shows, sometimes there were two doctors ahead of me. They didn't last because they put themselves on shows. So they've each lasted less than a year. And the job was to run a business, was okay. to run health programming, uh, a special category on the weekends okay. that was in uh, daytime. Um, and they didn't quite get that. Whereas I quickly learned you need to manage a P&L, you need to yep. manage a team, and doctors aren't always good at that. And I always look at that's been a great skill that I've learned at Discovery Channel. I stayed there almost 10 years. It was a great opportunity. But wow. then it goes back. What to would we play on a Saturday? What, what what would be a typical show? Like, so yeah, on you Saturday. Know, a lot of my shows are more on this health and medical programming that was like the global epidemic of diabetes okay. or, you know, the, the changing face of uh, cancer treatment. So very focused, you know, not yeah, they right. were the biggest shows. <laughs> Right. That would be great. And then when we were at Discovery and, Health Channel, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's like, as you were saying, like on Saturday afternoons, I'm like, what, like, I'm trying to remember when you had to be yeah. there in front of the TV. On you a know, it was Saturday time. morning. It was oh, morning, Saturday sorry. Morning. So oh, the reason yeah. why I say that is it right. turns out 8, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., those were the heat slots on weekends because then people get out and about. So right. shows like at 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. actually do very well for a weekend. But then I'd be involved in shows that called like a half ton woman, 200 pound tumor. And, and we struggled with this. <laughs> Advertisers really didn't want to be involved with yeah. these anomaly yeah. programs, right? Okay. But they would get big ratings in right. terms of, uh, you know, born without a face. I still remember some of these uh, ones. <laughs> Um, there's a lot diagnosis. of that there's a lot of that on snapchat actually you can like subscribe yeah. to a lot of these yeah 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 like Health i love the one now it's on tlc which is a discovery owned network uh pimple popper and i thought oh that, that would be like back then where you just <laughs> see this stuff coming out but it, it was a struggle at times where you have this anomaly programming and then you know a global epidemic diabetes show isn't going to rate as well just because it's not as 
is glitzy. But, you know, I'll tell you, though, some of those shows, like 200-pound tumor, that was after we did a show, 150-pound tumor, and they saw it on TV, and then they to wow. the doctor. It's always like neurofibromatosis, these very large tumors right. on your back. So it is, a, like, I still remember that now 10, 15 years later, so it clearly was a good show. And then on Monday, um, on Monday, you would see patients. You would walk in and see patients after seeing. Yeah, like, it's yeah. usually back then. It was usually a Friday. <laughs> okay, okay. To be easier, right? And most, right. you know, patients don't usually even now know my day job. Very few of them do. I don't really talk about it. And you know, it's great. You know, being in DC, I'm in the still in the DC area. You know, you can meet with members of the administration or the Congress or go to the White House for a meeting. Right. And it's great because on Friday, which is when I see patients, nobody cares. <laughs> They yeah, want to know like, what's their test results, what's happening with their diabetes. It's it's very grounding. Well, we need you and on we'll, we need you on Friday because the other doctors are golfing on Friday. Is that the usual? <laughs> you know, Friday is when everyone decides they need to get in before the weekend. Hundred percent, right? So it's very it is a very busy yeah. day. Well, and Mondays are very busy because everyone has called on Sunday that they've delayed that, you know, I wish there were golf days there. I've never had a part of that. It is very busy for clinics nowadays for everyone. That's awesome. And when you see these patients, have you been seeing the same patients? Like do, so like if I, if, if I was seeing you, you you would have 10 years or 20. I don't have my own panel per se. I do mine at a Kaiser Permanente. So they're not, Uh, so I'll, I'll help other doctors manage their patient loads, right? Got it. So you're going to flow. So you might not be able to see your doctor today for somewhat of a semi-urgent problem. So you'll see me instead. And then, you know, I'll work to to manage your care until you can get back in. Keeps the, keeps the muscles going, keeps the, all that medical, what's happening. What's in, in, yeah. I'm fascinated by that. Like that's a long time to maintain it. What's the new name? KP and Geisinger? Oh, uh, yeah. What is that called? It's something like resilient. Not It's not resilient. Yeah. Something like rising or something. Something remember, with an R, that's health. That's yeah. going to be managed as like a separate company, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And Geisinger still, at least currently, is going to function as it does. And, and, you know, KP will continue to function as it does, which really is kind of a unique system, uh, right. but functions very well. But let's uh, get back to you. So doctor practicing um, Discovery, Discovery Channel. Channel, you discovered your inner media personality, even though, you know, <laughs> well, you learned the you business know, I learned side. a lot of, you know, skills yeah. managing. But then, but then I decided I wanted to go back into government. It was the setting of the ACA. I wanted to be involved in health policy. So I went to FDA. Um, okay. Now, I will tell you at first, everyone looked at me and wanted me to run like a, a PR group or the Office of Communication. Patients. I was like, I, I'm a doctor. Like, I want to be involved in policy. But they looked at being a discovery channel meant you were involved in media. But, but instead, I ended up working at FDA. Many of you know Janet Woodcock, who's terrific, who wanted to create this Office of Engagement and Professional Affairs. And how do you work with advocacy groups? How do you address clinical trial diversity? And was there for about five years. Terrific uh, opportunity there at the Center for Drugs at FDA. Uh, and then decided, you know, I, I wanted to reach consumers again. And, and, you know, the government is not the best in communicating information on health. So WebMD had approached me and I've now been at WebMD, and, which also owns Medscape, uh, for about five years. I, I usually okay. stay places okay. like seven years on average. Yeah, seven years. It's, like a, seven year, it's the seven years. It's the seven years. Seven years. Right? Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> the, the seventh yeah. inning stretch. Kind yeah, of. <laughs> that's about the average that I stay. Discovery John, was a little longer because I thought it was you're seven. Like, it was like, you're like sig signaling, yeah, you know, four and a half years, I usually do seven, <laughs> you yeah. know, a little signal yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. 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 So you, you know, WebMD, one of the, probably one of the first, you know, people kind of associated WebMD yeah. with the look of that, yeah, um, with the, let's call scientifically backed vetted information, yeah. right, uh, right, in the age, um, you could mm -hmm. argue, you know, I don't know how you define digital health, but maybe just wanted to actually hear your thoughts on coming into WebMD yeah. I and mean, really a, a search slash, I know there's a lot more to it, mm -hmm. um, but your view, what's happening in the digital health space, the yeah. promise of it uh, mm -hmm. and how it fits into the larger sure. health ecosystem. And, you know, WebMD is now about 26 years old. So it has wow. survived for a long time where others have come and gone. And I was talking to one of the early uh, folks involved with it, and they talk about how, you know, 25, 26 years ago, they couldn't raise money at the very beginning because right. it was this, no one's going to go to the internet to get health information. And I still remember <laughs> as a clinician when patients would print everything up and then hand it to you and then you would take it and then just do what you want. Now they tell me what they think they have. Some, sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're not. Someone told me they thought they had costochondritis the other day. They actually said that word. And I was like, mm, good differential, but that's not you today. Uh, but I was glad you looked up then. <laughs> You know, I, I think this is the concept that search has changed. And in the past, you would print that all up. And now you engage in discussion. But even more so, I would argue, and, and this is how we're iterating at WebMD, you want to search content, but then we need to connect that to care because your expectations have changed, especially over the past three years. So if you see a suspicious mole in your arm, you don't want to wait four months, which you have to at some places to go see the dermatologist, or you have right. joint pain, you don't want to wait around. So what we can do is connect you to a telehealth visit. We can connect you to an app that might be able to look at, you know, moles on your skin. And, and that's where I think digital health has really changed and is changing how we think about delivering care. You know, everyone has a smart watch on or what I'm calling smart jewelry, smart ring. There's a smart necklace coming out. How do we use this information? Because what I'm really excited about is this concept of that health happens outside the doctor's office. Yep, and we sure. haven't really embraced it. And, and I know you guys feel the same way that here we have all this great data that I can collect at home in terms of your biometrics, in terms of, you know, there's a device called Lumen. You can breathe into it. I'll tell you whether you're burning carbs or fats. I tried a continuous glucose monitor for several months and I, I don't have diabetes, but I wanted that personalized data. And then no, how are we no. utilizing that? Do I really care what your blood pressure is in the doctor's office or do I care what it is every day? And I can do that. You know, lab tests that you can do at the home rather than you have to go to the doctor's office, get an order, maybe be able to get it at your doctor's office and then go somewhere else. So if you search STDs, STIs at WebMD, we can send you a link depending upon where you live because medicine is yep. regulated yep. You know, by states. And we can send you a way to get an STD test. And at first I thought, oh, this was before the pandemic. I thought, oh, is that a good thing that we should be doing? Because how are we gonna talk right. about safe right. sex practices? How are we gonna talk about all these other things? How am I gonna feel for, for inguinal nodes? Doctors don't even always do that. But I thought, right. no, this is a way that we're going to try to reduce disease burden. This is how we're going to reduce stigma. 
So that's what I'm really excited about, this finally personalization of data. Mm. And, and that's where I think we're not utilizing it efficiently. We haven't even touched, you know, we haven't scraped the surface of what we can be doing. Mm. You know, and I, I'm, I'm actually curious because, I mean, obviously Jim and I mm. also been and, and big believers in yeah. self-care and, yeah. you know, leveraging the data the counter argument by many physicians is still, you know, patients walk in, they self-diagnose, they give me that, yeah. you know, maybe not a piece of paper anymore. It, it, you know, it's annoyance. They worry, they text me because of X, Y, Z. And that self-diagnosis and being in your own head and, you know, Dr. Google or WebMD, yeah. but, you know, backing it up. So your thoughts on this? Yeah. Doctors are cynical about everything and they're not early <laughs> adopters. And there's still this category of these patricians that I'm the doctor, I know best, I went to school, stay in your lane, right? So right. object to everything. And I'm hearing that now with chat GPT, where I know we'll talk about it. Everyone wants to say, oh, it makes mistakes. It has biases. And, and I wrote this post on, on LinkedIn that's <laughs> very popular. I said, let's acknowledge doctors make mistakes. Doctors right. make mistakes often right. at times. Yeah. Doctors have biases that are implicit and that aren't always explicit. So, so let's be realistic. And, you know, WebMD, our philosophy is, and this has been mine really for my professional career, knowledge is power, right? And mm. it's not just information, it's knowledge. So the more knowledge that I can give you about your disease, about your condition, about signs and symptoms, that's going to make you healthier, that's mm. going to make you, you don't have to be a better patient. I, I really don't like that term. It's really an empower patient. And I was talking to mm. folks the other day, I really want to move to this concept of patient-driven care instead of patient-centered care. That was the buzzword for the last couple of years. Everyone's patient-centered. It means something different to everyone. You talk to a couple of patients and now you think you're patient-centered. It has to be patient-driven, that the patient should be driving how we deliver care. And we're not there. And, and doctors aren't always the best conversers. And some I know you're both interested in, someone came up to me, you can't make this up the other day. And a patient said to me, what do you think of Graham? And I was like, why do, why do you want the test? You know, what, right. what are yeah. you thinking about? Yeah. And he had tried to Google, but it was a great opportunity because I could say, look, 23andMe is looking for something different. They're not the same. That's right, looking right. for inherited mutations. Grail is looking for these cancer fragments, these other signs of cancer at this point in time, right? Yep. It's not right. talking to you about your risk. It's talking about this right. point in time. And, you know, there are challenges with both of these tests. But what I'm excited by, they're iterative. They're going to get better. You mm -hmm. know, chat right. GPT is going to get better. And yep. we have to figure out a way to work with developers, to work with innovators. Patients have to do that, too, to help drive it. And physicians right. and other healthcare practitioners, we can't always be like, oh, you know, this is bad for patients. It's, it's right. not. It's going to empower them. How do we make sure they get good information? The, the biggest thing when I think about this, oh, sorry, Eugene, uh, the, the, um, yep. is is this conf this act of confidentiality. Like, I, I find that, you know, when we all think about we yeah. we're kind of moving this phase now where we feel like everything's being tracked, right? Like everything's yeah. being tracked. And, and, you know, even as, as I, you know, get a little older, 
And now I'm all sudden concerned, say I, you know, I Google a condition or something. I'm like, oh, what if I can't get insured? Or what if I, you know, what if I go in a record or what if it's this? And so, so, you know, you're going into, or think of these great companies, like uh, there's an Irish company called Let's Get Checked. Um, Yeah, I know them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And well, now they're kind of probably more US centric now, but, you know, they began their, uh, their journey in giving people confidential access to testing Mm -hmm. for STDs, you know, largely, and then, and then expanded into a broader spectrum of health. But actually people have the same feeling. If you're checking for a cardiovascular condition, you might have the same impression of like, I don't want everyone to know. Do I want to go to the doctor and yeah. and have a record now? And then it feels that's going on. So this this kind of dichotomy that now I'm going to go into Chat GBT. What happens to all that data? Like, do people trust it? Right. Do you feel no, like they, when they walk that. in they trust? Yeah. It's sometimes I find it's generational, and I don't know if that's stereotyping. But someone the other day said to me that they didn't want to get this test that I thought they needed to have done because they were concerned that it would impact their life insurance. Right. right. So they're thinking of the concern about privacy and, and tracking. Right. But I find in a lot of younger patients, they're like, text me it. Right. <laughs> and they'll say things like, oh, I, you know, I was glad I got right. this. Like, that was a good eye prompt, you know, right. for me to think. Like, they're like, sure, bring it on. Like, I'll learn more. TikTok. I do think. We I think there's going to be a privacy, but yeah. Sorry, I to... sorry, Eugene, go ahead. No, there's like delays. Apologies on 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 my end here. Like I'm behind you guys a little bit. I was saying I agree with you that there's a generational piece, and if you think about you know that openness, everybody public on Twitter. Yeah. I'm watching right. my younger kids, right? Um, and they're actually now almost in reverse. Their profiles are private on Instagram you know, mm, et cetera. Right. So it's actually, I, I think we're sort of skipping some of the generations. It was closed, yeah. open, and then the reverse again. And I'm not saying right. everybody's unique right. and different, right? But, and they have their but own stance, right. but. We have to have a way to address it. You know, I will tell you when I was using a CGM, I posted some of them on Twitter and it was like crowdsourcing. Like it was great. Right. I felt like a lot of people were giving me comments about, you know, my blood sugar level and, and how I could address it. So, you know, I, but but I did that, right? And yeah, I made your that choice. conscious decision to do right. that. And that's what I think we have to address, the privacy issues, the life insurance, the health insurance, the other aspects, you know, job issues. People do have implicit biases about discrimination against, you know, people with disability and, and right. other aspects. Um, so it's something that we have to address, but it's also about how do we, as I said, empower people with much more information. You know, I would argue in some ways, we don't need more data. We need to better utilize the data that we have. And how do we, you know, in, incorporate it more? You know, we still have issues of interoperability. How are we getting your health data into the health right. that I can use. And, and someone was talking to me about, oh, they could send these labs as a PDF. I'm like, that does not help me. Like you cannot right. search the health record as a PDF. And as a right. physician, when I'm looking at things for other patients, I'm not I'm not clicking the PDFs. Right. And, and right. that's I mean, issue. And you think it's 2023. How, how are we doing that? How do people still use fax machines? That's what I don't know. I think that's ins- mind blowing, right? On one aspect, there's Chad GPT that's doing, you know, differential diagnosis of a patient you know, record. On the other side, there's still facts, right? right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. And, you know, I think what you said earlier, John, right? Like, um, you know, the technology, things will iterate and get better. And same thing, you know, maybe Chad GPT 
it will evolve. There will be other, you know, HIPAA compliant and SOC 2 compliant and high trust compliant right. learning, you know, learning models and GPT models. So it will evolve over time. I do think that people will want that to be proprietary, especially in the private market, right? Um, just because this is data that does become valuable to augment your own staff, right? With mm -hmm. your own unique processes and workflows. So a lot lots right. to be discovered, cool. but I don't know, my quick little use case, and this is, you know, I'm still doing the tweeting, but now I'm asking chat GPT to take my longer post and give me yeah. the threads, right? Like, uh, yeah. so I, it converts it to a that? thread. It's yeah. still my content. It's just helping me do the threading, right? Like, is it better? Uh, is it better written? That's that's not even that's not even stated. What better written? It's, <laughs> um, probably, probably, probably. I mean, uh, you know, my yeah. M Marina always jokes around that I don't know any language perfectly. Um, so, <laughs> that, I was at a I was at a medic I was at a medical conference over the over the weekend, and um, uh, one of the guy one of the uh, biologics coordinators. It was responsible for fighting claims that were rejected and, and the fellow was hysterical he's from mississippi and he would go into chat gpt and write what he wanted to say and then they would write the defense for the you know to fight the claim a rejected claim and he's like he's like look at that man he's like he's like that wasn't written by a guy from mississippi <laughs> all the all the com first of all all the commas are in the right places yeah. <laughs> were like and he wrote this beautiful like you know you know referencing clinical studies and doing all this stuff it's almost like I don't know anyone that could write such a beautiful succinct article in like whatever. Uh, and sometimes you seconds. do need to check the facts because I, I, uh, someone um, was going to introduce me and they're like, oh, I had ChatGPT look at your bio and they sent it to me. And it said like I was an assistant professor at George Washington University School of Medicine, which would be nice, but it's not true. <laughs> and and right. even some other things that I've looked at at times, uh, it's been, you know, a, a little inaccurate, but those are going to get better. And, yeah. and that's why, like, we have to yeah. embrace them and, and work with folks on it and, and really think about, again, this patient-driven care and how we're going to improve the care of patients. Because I think the pandemic has changed everyone's expectations. No, right. one, no one would think about doing a lab at home or a test at home. Right. And now you're quite comfortable, you know, to these other tests, Everly Well, Let's Get Checked and others that can make it more convenient for you. I mean, my right. issue with that is, you own the data, which I agree with, but how does that data get into the medical record? Because I can't go by attestation of patients. Right. They say, oh, I checked it and it was fine. And then I don't have time yep. during a 15-minute visit to input right. labs. So how um, long, what's what's your prediction? When will ChatGPT like, or the clinical version of ChatGPT be able to prescribe medications? I think prescribing is is a totally separate issue because remember that's managed by <laughs> boards of medicine and boards of pharmacy, so they'll probably take action to liability manage. is the challenge now. There. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Of but if they're but a doctor is still going to have to sign that. A licensed prescriber is going to have to sign today. A prescription. Today, but even then, I, I don't see that changing <laughs> in the short term. The government doesn't move quickly. Whether it can help with diagnosis. I, I think that's a, a real opportunity in terms of inputting symptoms, you know, looking at data. I think it can be very relevant for tumor boards yeah. where you want to think about how cancer care should be managed. And that can be very hard in community centers. 
I think certainly we see AI helping in immense in radiology because you're looking for patterns. I think prescriptions are different because at the end of yeah, the day, I'm challenging. So I'm challenging. So 20 years, yeah. 30 years. <laughs> and so, um, that's I mean, a long it, time. It, that's a long time. Yeah, but you know, my my point is like I think that I think it's that'll be there's there's no way there's no way like it's like the you know it's like the classic um, self driving mm-hmm. car. There's yeah. no way that if I could go on give you know put in all my symptomology oh. and my records and were there and they could tell me you know within a reasonable rate why would you you know within a reasonable you know whatever risk window yeah. you know you know why would you put a expensive person on the end of it i mean it would just say like it just right. it just strikes me as as you know it, it, it you know it, but it, it is your health it is your health so you have to Think about it that way. And it's funny you meant the self-driving car. So I usually show these two slides at presentations. One is the Google self-driving car. And I say, uh, like, how many people would get in it, right? And usually maybe only about like 10% of people raise their hand. But there are a few people that raise their hand in terms, I, I do not raise my hand. I, I have young children. I'm like a self-driving right. car at this point. And then I show this headline that says the Defense Department has these AI tools that can trigger strikes. And I say, how many people think that's a good idea, that AI can weaponize systems and right. launch attacks? And they're all like, oh, like right. that's too dangerous. And then I say, but why, when it's your own health on things, mm-hmm. you just take anyone's advice on the web or a blog, or you'll just try something. So I yeah. think it's also it, I was trying to I was trying to be a little more provocative to yeah. think about the future when that risk is managed. You know, like it's the idea but like that's if, what we, it is. if you were in the room and risk. if you were in the room whatever a hundred years ago and you said, see this metal tube, you know, I want to stick you all in it and send yeah. you off to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> How many people want to hey. go into it? Yeah. But we use hey, tools Jim, now here. in pharmacy <laughs> to look at um Drug, drug, interactions. drug interactions, yeah. allergies. Like, I think it could be yeah. very helpful in terms of ID, infectious disease issues to help. Sometimes so we don't have to call the ID specialist and get a hold of them. Right. Um, so, but at the end of the day, the physician will be the, pres- the prescriber. So we'll see. But we've been talking about robotic surgery for a long time. Uh, that's been more than 20 years. And we don't have, you know, that- robots operating autonomously. Right. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. I, I think with every single technology, there's a hype and a scare, right? And then people realize, like a stupid thing. Um, you, you know, you missed it, John, but I recreated Jim Joyce on using this thing <laughs> Mid Journey, and tried to like put his voice to it and all of this. <laughs> In doing this, which I only spent about an hour. I realized there's now competition for what's called prompts, right? Chat GPT prompts, mid-journey prompts, who can write the best prompts? So all of a sudden, these creatives are now not necessarily creating the graphics, but they're creating prompts. It's a job shift, right? But still using that creativity and their talent to describe the best possible picture. So it's, it's, uh, you know, we've seen this crazy cycle now, but I think it'll settle, it'll be augmented, it'll help. I do want to go back to human beings. Just one quick question before we sort of dive to uh, Jim's famous last question. Um, (laughs) You mentioned a couple of things. You know, one, patient-driven care. I love that. And then how do you look at it with shared decision-making? I actually had Mm -hmm. a whole discussion with, uh, you know, a physician. 
shared decision-making, um, and I think you may or may not know, but Marina and I, we run a tech-enabled coaching company, health coaching mm-hmm. company, and many physicians still trying to understand what's really the role of a coach, yeah. right? Um, and the way we look at it is you can do the shared decision-making in the office, but adhering to that decision, for lack of a better term, yeah. to your earlier discussion of, you know, most of health happens outside mm-hmm. of it. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm curious how you look shared decision-making role of you know health coaching triangulated mm-hmm. with patient-driven care which ultimately coach's right. job is patient or yeah. consumer-driven discussions right but i think shared decision making is a skill set that i wish more doctors learned and practiced and sometimes it is back to this patrician attitude i'm in charge i know best why would i ask you your opinion i will tell you what to do and You can decide whether or not to do it. And then I get mad when you don't take your high blood pressure medicines and do other things. But what I think part of the struggle is it's a compressed visit nowadays. People are coming in with higher acuity. There's a lot of things I have to do. There's a lot of measures that I'm going to be judged against uh, in terms of is everyone with diabetes on a statin? What's people's A1Cs? Where are we on screening? And sure, decision-making takes time especially when you're first learning it. But that's where I think Eugenia goes to, we have to empower people with knowledge and good information. And let's be honest, most people go to Google. There's data that shows 90% of people go to Google before they go to their doctor's office. So they're already searching. I always ask patients, I don't say I'm at WebMD, I say, what are you concerned about? What did you search? What did you think it is? And it is about nine times out of 10, they'll tell me that this is what I found. And I think it's also... I see a lot of patients that are newly diagnosed diabetes. I don't put everyone on metformin right away. I do have that shared decision-making. Here are the risks of high blood pressure. Here, high blood sugar. This is what you think you can do. And then I, but then I, we agree on a specific time frame: three months, six months. They're going to come back, yep. usually three months. Now I will tell you, sometimes they don't come back. I've seen this over the years. You know, they, they don't want to address it. Um, and a patient said to me just last week, he said, um, he said, you're not like other doctors. And I said, sure, that's going to be like. He says, other doctors are always pushing the medications. And okay. he says, you're not. I said, well, what I'm saying is we're talking about what a plan is together. Yep. And I said, you might need to be on medication. I said, honestly, I think you will likely need to be on mm. medication just because you haven't made any changes. <laughs> yep. He didn't go get his labs. He did it on right. purpose. Uh, <laughs> But we had a plan and we've had a plan for the last six months. Now, on the other side, I've had a patient that has done extremely well with this. And he eventually had to go on medicine, but not as much as he thought he would be. He's being managed with a single agent. And the same thing, he appreciated that. But it takes a lot of time and it puts me behind in my visit. Um, But that is the style that I think we need to train more physicians in. But then... A big thing that I focus on WebMD is how do I empower patients to ask questions and ask the right questions? You know, sometimes right. patients are intimidated in terms of what to ask or they want to please the doctor. And I really focus on, you know, what are the right questions you should ask? How do I know if I should be on this medication? How do I know when my symptoms should go away? When should I expect that to go away? How do I know if I'm doing better on this high blood pressure medication? Um but that takes a lot of time to go over it with them. And I, I'm not really sure the doctor is the best person for everything. Like diabetes educators are very good. Lifestyle coaches are very good. 
but then we all have to talk together. And that's this whole concept of health happens outside the doctor's office, right? So how am I empowering you to have those discussions with me when you come back in? Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So Jim, you're, let's, let's go to your last question and then uh, we'll let John go. Right. So you, you take a moment from your, yeah. your, your busy days, so put, put mm-hmm. your, put yourself back in Philadelphia yeah. You just came from was it was it was it Buster's or you came from you just came from like you're walking out Binders of, that's a really old restaurant there yeah. <laughs> you're going out of Binders so you're coming out of this restaurant Wawa Wawa started <laughs> Wawa right. that's right and you're coming out of the restaurant and you see there's a there's a there's a young it looks like a very intelligent you know kind of person that probably spent time in in media and mm-hmm. you look at him he's a, and he, and he walks up to me he says john I, I i john i've been following you john i've been following your career i just came out of a tour of duty in the fda i came out of a tour of duty in medicare and and now i've come up with this phenomenal uh, piece of technology that's going to leverage uh that's going to leverage uh all of the patient's data and all of their experience in order to inform them before they walk into a doctor's office. And I've got this idea and I'm bringing it to market. What's the one piece of advice that you would get to give that younger version of yourself? Wow. Um, you know, I think part of it is you have to be open to change and be open to ideas. And, and, and the reason why I say that, and I think I've done that, but a lot of people don't is like you think you're on a certain path and you know how that's supposed to go. Go to medical school, you go to residency, you do a fellowship if you go to a big program, and then you practice for a few years. It doesn't have to be like that. And even when you're starting with a new technology, that's the beauty of it. It's new. It doesn't have to follow the same path as everything else. And it's hard sometimes to think outside the box, especially when you might not have role models to say, this is how I'm going to be. But my approach has been, and, and, and I would say to this younger version of myself, you know, be open to change, you know, network with like-minded people that are going to encourage you to be bold, to, to do different things. So but that's probably what I would say. That, that was a tall order to, to offer. Love it. But beautiful. Love beautiful. It. Love it. Love it. Be open to change. Young. Thank you so much for making the time and your busy schedule. And it was a pleasure to reconnect again. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Great to meet you, John. Great seeing you both. Thanks. Thanks.